welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 1st of May 2016, entitled Repairing the Desolations, and the Bible reading is taken from Ezra chapter 9 verses 1 to 15. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. You'd like to open your Bibles this evening to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra will be taking our scripture reading. The reason I asked you just to go ahead and have a seat because it's going to be a rather long reading and then uh, just a few comments about it, okay? <laughs> uh, but I want, to, uh, I want us to read this uh, this evening, and then I just want to take uh, a couple of points to make application to, uh, to us in, in our lives. Ezra chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. Now, pausing there for a moment, keep in mind what we've been looking at the last few weeks in our Sunday morning services on the assurance of God's promises and the surety of God's promises, that that's what will keep us going. Just like as we saw this morning, that's how that Noah could keep going for God when absolutely nobody else thought he had any sense. When everybody thought the man was off his rocker, when he was the only one, he and his family, he was the only one that was walking with God. We find that the world had gotten into that situation because those that belong to God and those that belong to the world all began to marry and come together, and eventually they didn't think anything but evil. We find here, we find that this is the nation of Israel. And the Bible says that they had failed to separate themselves from the people of the lands. And then he goes through the list of, of naming for those. Now notice what he goes on to say. He says, for they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons. <laughs> That's what we read about this morning. They're doing the same thing. Rather than those that believe in God being united with one with those that do, they're uniting themselves with those that don't. They have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and out of my beard and sat down astonished. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgressions of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I arose up from the heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God and said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass 
is grown up into the heavens. Now, again, I want to pause there for a second. Ezra's praying a prayer here. Now, again, we'll look at just a little bit of the background in just a moment, but Ezra has come to Jerusalem. And, of course, as we find earlier in the book of Jerusalem, keep in mind that the nation of Israel, because of their idolatry and because of their sinfulness, they had been carried away into Egyptian uh, and, and Babylonian captivity. This is at the end of those 70 years of captivity. And we find that a group has come prior to this. We find that King Cyrus brought his degree and under Antexorcus and these others, that this remnant was sent back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple which had been demolished. And they had come back and they had rebuilt that temple. There was really like three waves of them that came back after they came out of the captivity back into the land that God had given to them. The first group had already come back and they had rebuilt the temple. And, and of course, we've looked in the past at many of the obstacles that they had to go through to do that. But if you would, Ezra's that second wave and then there's another one that will follow. So Ezra's back there and he's there with the nation of Israel and the people, the remnant, the ones that God had brought out of captivity and brought back and give them their land and, and allowed them to get past all of these obstacles to rebuild the temple, they've just gone off. They haven't separated themselves from the world. They've begun to intermarry with the lost. We find that here, one of the things that absolutely amazes me is Ezra begins to pray out to God. The Bible says he's ashamed. Well, Ezra wasn't the one that had done that. <laughs> Ezra's come here to help these people, but yet, do you notice in his prayer, he doesn't say, God, they're just an awful lot of people. They've done terrible things. They haven't walked with you. God, I'm ashamed of them. No, Ezra says, I'm ashamed. And he never, ever used the word them. He says, my God, I am ashamed. I, I, I blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head. And our trespass has grown up into the heavens. He took responsibility himself for where the people of God was because he was part of that group. He said, since the days of our fathers, have we been in a great trespass unto this day? And for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to the captivity, and to a spoil and to confusion of face as it is this day. God, we don't seem to learn anything. It's our iniquities that God has carried away and being in bondage and captivity to somebody else in the first place. Here we are again, Lord. And now for a little space. Grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape. And to give us a nail in, his whole, in this holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. Again, I'll come back to one of the points that I want to make. But folks, just before our last four weeks in looking at the assurance of God, God's promises, we were looking at the judgments of God, the foundations that were laid for those judgments in the book of Genesis. And we find that we never, ever, ever we never find God acting outside of his mercy and his grace 
Even as we saw this morning, God came and literally everybody, every imagination, all of their thoughts were evil. But Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Ezra says, God, I mean, we are a sorry lot. We've messed up, and you've had to take us, and you've had to try to, to teach us, and Lord, here we are again. We, we've messed up, but Lord, now for a little space, grace has been shown from the Lord. He goes on in verse 9, for we were bondmen. We were slaves. We were being held by others, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments, which thou hast commanded by the servants, the prophets, saying, the land unto which ye go to possess it is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations which have filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness. God fairly warned them. The land that I'm giving you, you've got to realize the people that are there now, they are a godless people. This land is going to need to be cleaned up. Now, therefore, give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your own sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. God saying, look, I've promised you this land, but that is a godless people that are there. And you have to realize the ungodliness of the land. Now, when you go there, the last thing you need to do is to start taking their daughters and their sons, start making yourself one with them. But yet we find Ezra's coming. That is precisely what they've done. Ezra's saying, God, we know. You told us precisely what kind of trouble that this would get us into if we did it. But we didn't listen, God. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that thou, our God, hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve and has given us such deliverance as this. I, you know, one of the sad things that I believe that I hear in the days that we live in <laughs> is the truth is, is that nobody thinks they deserve anything bad from God. And everybody thinks that they deserve heaven because of their deeds and their goodness and what they've done and they've lived their lives and they haven't hurt anybody. And folks, it's not just the world out there that thinks that. That is precisely what is being delivered from many, many, many of the pulpits of this land and around this world. Ezra is getting honest before God. <laughs> he said, God, we don't deserve for you to be as good to us as you have. <laughs> we don't deserve for you to protect us and deliver us from anything. 
He says in verse 14, should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Would not thou be angry with us till thou hadst consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor escaping God? None of us deserve. And if we're so foolish after you've told us not to, that we're going to go out there and we're going to do this again. I mean, we did it before and you took us into captivity and you've set this remnant free and we've turned around and we've done it again. Oh, Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous. For we remain yet escaped as it is this day. <laughs> Behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. God, you know, we're still a free people. You have sent that remnant back. We're here where you promised us that we could be, even though that we have messed it up so bad and we've done what you told us not to do. Now, when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping, and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, where the people wept very sore. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehal, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God. And if taken strange wives of the people of the land, yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them, according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Now, it's not our main focus this evening, but I want you to notice here, I've heard those that would try to take this passage to try to prove that divorce is okay with God. God's not condoning divorce here. What we find in this situation, this is an extreme situation. God has never said, that's what I want. These people had gone so far. Remember what we looked at this morning. It had gone so far that God had to literally wipe out with the flood, all that was living upon this earth, except for one man and his family that was walking with him. We find here a nation, a nation that's had God's hand of protection and preservation upon it. He's tried to guide them and they've gone the wrong way. He's tried to give them insight into what to do and what not to do and how to be blessed, and yet they've totally disobeyed him. And we find that they are in such a bad way that at this point, his people and the people of the world are so tied and so intermingled that rather, the only other option would be just to wipe them all out like he'd done before, I guess. But rather than that, he says, we got to separate you. we got to separate you. You were never supposed to be here. We have got to separate you. So I believe that this is an extenuating circumstance that is the only way that the seed, the nation of Israel, which we've been looking at those promises from the very first time that he made it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is going to keep his promise and the preservation is going to be there. And this is exactly where the seed is going to come forth, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that is going to be the whole purpose of all that God does. He's got 
to save that seed. And in this case, it's calling for very extreme measures. Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. Then arose Ezra and made the chief priests, the Levites, and all Israel, to swear that they should do according to this word, and they swear. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Elishab. And when he came thither, he did eat no bread nor drink water, for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. And they made proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem unto all the children of the captivity that they should gather themselves together unto Jerusalem. Now whosoever would not come within three days according to the counsel of the princes and the elders, all his substance should be forfeited and himself separated from the congregation for those that had been carried away, not only... <laughs> Were they in these drastic measures having to be separated from the world to such a point that even the families were having to be separated and having to be divided? I want to tell you again, there's going to come a day again when God's people will be preserved and that same separation will take place again. We find right here, not only have they been separated from the world, but they also have been commanded that they all, God's people, separated from the world, and all of them come together in one place together. And all of the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered themselves together unto Jerusalem within three days. And it was the ninth month on the twelfth day of the month, and all the people sat in the street of the house of God, trembling because of this matter for the great rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said unto them, Ye have transgressed, and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now therefore make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers, and do his pleasure, and separate yourselves for the people of the land and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. But the people are many, and it is a time of much rain. We're not able to stand without, neither is this a work of one day or two, for we are many that have transgressed in this thing. Hey, this is going to take a while. We're a lot, and we've gone a long ways away from God. Let now our rulers of all the congregation stand, and let all them which have taken strange wives in our cities come at appointed times, and with them the elders of every city and the judges thereof, until the fierce wrath of our God will this matter be turned from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Asahel and Jehaziah, the son of Tikvah, were employed about this matter, and Meshulam and Shabbatiah the Levite helped them. The children of the captivity did so, and Ezra the priest with certain chief of the fathers after the house of their fathers were separated and sat down in the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. They made an end with all the men that had taken strange wives by the first day of the first month. And among the sons of the priests there were found that had taken strange wives, namely of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Josadak, his brother, 
Masariah, and Eliezer, and Jerob, and Gedaliah. They gave their, their, their hands that they would put away their wives, and being guilty, they offered a ram of the flock for their trespass. And he goes down, and he goes right through the list here of all of those. And then the last verse, 44, all these had taken strange wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. God separated his people. Now, these were some drastic measures. God's people, the remnant that he had brought out of captivity and sent back to Jerusalem, that had built the temple once again. But then they had become so intermingled with the world that the people were in danger of destroying the holy seed. God could not allow the holy seed to be destroyed. So there were drastic measures that had to take place once again to separate his people from the world. Now, a lot of things could be said in there, but I want to give you a couple of simple, simple points here. I want you to look back, first of all, to the verse 8 and 9 of chapter 9. And I want us to focus just a couple of things out of these verses. He said in verse 8, And now for a little space, grace hath been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem, repairing the desolations, desolations, total ruin. That's what was left. We think of desolations a lot of times when we think of it in the physical sense. And, of course, we sometimes, I mean, it's just uh, uh, just this, this week that, uh, what was it, yesterday or the day before that there were all the pictures on the news of this building in Kenya that had just collapsed and all these lives that were there. It lay in desolation. It lay in ruins. There was nothing. It was not usable any longer for what it was meant to be. It was totally ruined. Well, this is what Ezra's praying. God, repair the desolations. Now, he wasn't talking physically. The temple was still standing. It was fairly new at this point. It had just been rebuilt. But he's talking about the spiritual desolations of his people. You see, we live in desolate days, whether we recognize it or not, spiritually. We can look around us and we can see physical ruins, but, you know, as a young preacher many years ago, it was some of the desolations of the churches in this country that God burdened my heart to bring me here in the first place. When I began to see these churches by the hundreds were closing their doors, they were ceasing to be. If I ask you the question tonight, how many of you, Know yourself of places where that God's people have met, where that the gospel has gone out, where that they have been a shining light, and that today they no longer exist. 
It's in desolation, ruins. I don't mean it in the wrong way. One of the things that brought this, this passage to my heart this week, and I really felt it important and led to speak to you on this evening was because when I got the word this week, that a church that we all know very well, just a few miles from here, Lighthouse Baptist Church at the last Sunday in this month would be the last Sunday that they would meet. You know, I, I can remember back when Don Rice first began that work and the many things and the close fellowship that we as a church have had with them all of these years. You see, it's not the physical desolations. And we know personally some of the people that are there that are part of that congregation. But as a witness, as a church, it's gone. It's in desolation. This ruin, it will no longer be able to fulfill the purpose that it's been there for these years. And I'm thinking, you know, we take it for granted sometimes. <laughs> we take it for granted, and it's easy for us Instead of like Ezra, it's easy for us to look around and to say, wow, look how ungodly that lot is and look how bad those people are and look at all these things. But folks, I want to tell you something. It is only, only by the grace of God that this place isn't desolate. It's only by the grace of God that any of these churches around us are not desolate. We find that the enemy is out to destroy them. There are many, many battles to be fought. But you see, Ezra was at a point here. He had come back to Jerusalem and all that God had done for them and God had blessed them and God had brought them out of captivity and then been able through all the obstacles to, to build this new temple to, to worship God in and then they had gone off and just mingled themselves with the world in such a way that there was almost going to be no seed left. If God didn't intervene, if something drastic didn't happen, nothing was going to be left. And Ezra's praying for God to repair the desolation. Folks, we need to wake up. And we need to realize and recognize the desolation that's all around us, the spiritual desolation of a nation that one time was on fire for God, that one time was sending missionaries. Yes, there's always been sinners, and yes, there's always been problems, but there used to be a people that were so close to God and so on fire for God that they were willing to pay whatever price to get the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to others. That day is not our day anymore. Thank God, just as we see here, there is a remnant left. There is a remnant left, but don't get on your high horse and think that we're still here because we're somehow better than those that no longer are. That we're somehow here because we've had a, a better program or better preaching or better music or better anything. We are still here solely by the grace of our God and Him alone. We are not somehow superior spiritually to those that are no longer there. We need, as Ezra did, we need to wake up and see the desolation that's around. The nation of Israel didn't even see how bad that they had gotten. They didn't see the desolation that was all around them. 
God sent Ezra there to wake them up, to shake them up, and to say, hey, this has got to change. And that's what he did. I want you to realize three things. We need to realize the privilege of being part of God's remnant. Now, we can get into a lot of things. Let me tell you something. The nation of Israel will survive. And God still has plans and many things that are literally going to take place for that nation. But I want to tell you something else. That if you've been spiritually drafted in as part of that seed, God's church is going to survive as well. He will. Now, the truth is, the church can end up, we can end up in a situation just like Israel was there where that we are so mixed up with the world, we don't even realize the position that we're in. We need to pray out to God because, folks, I know you know this, but we need to wake up and remember. That's what Ezra is reminding him of here in this verse. Wake up and remember. You're only a remnant. You're only here. You've only escaped because of God's grace. It's not because of who you are. Remember what we said this morning? God's promises are not based upon who we are and what we do and our power or anything about it. It's based upon him and his word. And don't you ever forget There is absolutely, positively, zero, zilch, nothing that you can do to stand before a righteous God. Jesus Christ alone. We can quote the words, do we really, really understand what it means when it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. We are God's people because of God's grace alone. And do you know that it's not just God's grace alone that saves us. It's God's grace alone that we can serve him. I cannot even begin to explain to you what a surprise it is to me that God would let me stand behind this pulpit and preach his word. I do not understand it. I know that it's not because I'm so good at it, and it's not because I'm so smart, and it's not because I'm so slim and good-looking and all these other things by God's grace. I don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. Whatever it is we do for God, we don't do it because we deserve it. By God's grace, by God's grace, this remnant had been saved. By God's grace, Were they able to do what they were doing there? And it's the same with you and I. Do you know that we can't even grow once God saves us? We can't even become a stronger Christian or more without God's grace. He's given us his word. He lives within us in his spirit. God's the only one that can feed us, and God's the only one that can strengthen us. By God's grace... We're still here when we need to wake up and realize it's not past tense. Right now, while we sit here tonight, there are many churches struggling to keep their doors open. And I've said so many times, one of the problems, even even with Bethel, is we just expect it to be there. (laughs) I got news for you, and I'll get to that in a minute. But I got news for you. It's only by God's grace that we're still here. 
by God's grace, that we can belong to God, that we can be his children, that we can be part of his family, that we can be saved, that we can serve, that we can grow. And he is praying for revival. God, just send us some revival. Give us some new life amidst all of this. We have, sometimes we like to call revival meetings and we kind of order it up. We're going to have revival this week, praise God. (laughs) Revival is an act of God and God alone. And you know, I've read and studied a lot because man would not like to be a part of just one of those great movements of God. I've read a lot about revival. And there's one thing that I find in common over and over and over again, the times that God has moved greatly is when a remnant of his people have become humble and have gotten on their face before God just as Ezra did. God, we've got to have you. We're a miserable people. We don't deserve it. But Lord, we need you to repair the desolations. We need you, Lord. We, as a people, I'm saying this evening, folks, we must realize the privilege that we are here, that we are God's children, that we have the privilege to serve him, that we have the privilege to study his word and to grow, that we have the privilege to even be able to go to God and ask him to revive us, to give us new life, to send us refreshing. It's a privilege, folks. It's all, all, all by God's grace. So realize the privilege that we're still here and... Recount the purpose. What do you mean? Verse 9 says, For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Revival. Revival of the soul. I'm sorry, folks. You know, I'm I'm, I'm not a Pentecostal. I'm not charismatic. I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those. I've got dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ that are. I'm not talking about that. But we need to wake up. Sometimes we're afraid of what God might do because of the abuses of others. So you can go in our churches and they're as dead as last year's bird nest. There's absolutely nothing going on because there's nothing alive within us. There's nothing, I, folks, look, I'm not looking for emotions for the sake of emotions. People ask me sometimes, preach. Why do you get so loud and stuff when you preach? And all, you know, I'm sorry. If you don't like it, you know, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't turn the volume down. I want to tell you something. I am passionate about God's Word. And I am passionate about sharing it with you. And it's by God's grace that He gave me one more chance this evening. So until either you get up and walk out that door because you're tired of listening to me or I finish, I've got that great privilege this evening. We need to recount the purpose 
You see, it's by God's grace that we're still here. It's by God's grace that we can continue to be here. But we need to realize if we're going to continue to be here, <laughs> we need God to move in us. As churches and as individuals, we need God. We sing about him being alive. We talk about him being alive. We say that's what makes us different from all those other religions out there is that we got a, a living Savior, praise God. Well, if he's alive, he's supposed to be alive in you, and you need to act like it sometimes. I'm not saying, you know, you need to start jumping the pews and running the aisles just to show off. But I'm saying if you're alive, you ought to look alive. <laughs> You ought, you ought to look different than a dead person. I can usually tell the difference if somebody's dead or alive. Now, I know there's a few sometimes that uh, it's hard to tell the difference. We need God to repair the desolations, to repair the desolations in our church, to repair the desolations that are all around us. Only God can do that, and he can do it. There's one thing I want to ask you to do this evening. You see, if we can grasp, if we can grasp what Ezra was saying to the nation of Israel, if we'll open our eyes and realize that just as God's people then had gotten to be such a part of the world, because he said it real clear and plain, and I know it's not real popular preaching nowadays. He said they had not separated themselves. <laughs> From the world. They had literally started to marry them and join together and just be at one. That's what marriage is all about, two people becoming one. God's people had become one with the world. We find that when Ezra came, he says, hey, whew, this has got to change. This needs some drastic measures. In the end, what was it that took place there in chapter 10, verse 4? He said, arise, wake up, get up and do something about it. For this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. Now, he's not talking about doing it in your strength. He's just got through humbling himself and said, God, we don't deserve anything. By your grace, we are here. And by your grace, we will continue to be here. We don't deserve the goodness that you've already given us. God, we need a movement. We need you to move on our lives. But we need to do some things, not for our salvation. We do need to do some things. We need to separate ourselves from the world. We need to make some commitments. We need to say, we mean business with this thing. We're not going to be part of the world. We are going to realize the privilege of being a child of God and that we're still here and that this church is still here. And we're going to recount the purpose that God has left us here is that his work can carry on, that the work of Jesus Christ can take place in you and me, that that lost world out there can come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I know that it's nice that we can enjoy the fellowship and the food and all these comings together but that's not our purpose in being here. We need to remember what God's got for us to do. Folks, we need some commitments. <laughs> 
We need to resound a promise. We've been talking about God's promises. Well, as we're saying here, you need to make some promises to God. You need to make some commitments to God. God's the only one that can do the work, but are you willing to give yourself to God to do that work through you? We sing those songs all the time. I surrender all, all to him I give. Are we really completely surrendered to him? You know, that's one of the great passages when he's talking about sending his Holy Spirit to live within us, and he starts talking about there in John chapter 16, I think it is, where he's talking about the the vines, 15 or 16. And of course, when we're separated, the branches from the vine, then we're just going to wither up and die. It's only in him that there's going to be life. It's only in him that there's going to be any fruit. But when we're connected to him, there will. I don't have time to share it again. The, the, the illustration I gave you this morning of that dear old man, at getting on in years, the old Australian man, for 20 years, after God had saved him from such a wretched life, he made a commitment to God. God, I am going to give at least 10 people a day a gospel tract and ask them if they're saved. 10 people a day. For 20 years he did that, giving them a simple tract. There's not a person here that can't do that, by the way. Handing them a simple gospel tract, asking them if they're saved and ready to go to heaven. When he was on his deathbed, getting close to death, not able to be out there anymore, he didn't know of a soul after 20 years of giving those. He didn't know of a soul until this pastor came to visit him. This pastor that had run into people all over the world that had ended up because some old gray-headed man had stuck a track in their face because he was out there every day. He said the days that he was sick, he always made up for it on another day. Never even knowing himself, not being able to count it himself, and yet the number of people's lives were touched. Folks, if we're going to see the desolations repaired, we've got to realize it's only God that can do it. We will never have the programs. We will never have the things to do it ourselves. But God will do it. All he was asking of them was to separate themselves from the world and get serious with God. And that's all I'm asking you this evening. Hey, we need to quit playing games. It's not about playing games. We're not here for our comfort. We're not even here to have a good time this evening. We're here, hopefully, that God would speak to our hearts through his word. We're here to be changed in some way. Are you willing this evening to truly commit your life to him and say, God, I am yours to use however you see fit? I believe God's still in the repairing business, and I believe God's still in the reviving business. But I believe that it's going to take a number of people that are willing to get on their face before God and say, God, here I am. We don't deserve it. We can't do it. But we know that you're still on the throne. We pray that you do that through us. Father, so many things I'd like to say this evening, but our time has escaped us. The simple thought of repairing the desolations. Lord, the desolations are all around us. Oh, help us to remember and realize that oh, it's only by your grace. What a privilege to be your child. What a privilege to have this place to come to that we call a church. But, Lord, I started saying earlier in the sermon and never really got around to finishing it that 
People just expect it to be here. But unless somebody's willing to make the commitment, it'll be just like many of these others. Cease to exist, close its doors. Father, we thank you for all that you've been doing in this place. We thank you for every soul that you've saved. We thank you for everyone that you sent this way. Lord, I pray that you'd help your people to be willing to do the same thing as Ezra called their attention to it there, to humble themselves, to call out to you, to separate ourselves from this world, to be willing to be used by you, of you, in whatever capacity that you see. Please, Lord, not because we deserve it, but because of the desperation. Help us as we look around to realize our family, our friends, those that are all around us, Lord, without Jesus Christ, they have no hope. Lord, would you please, by your grace, see fit to use us, that they might see Jesus in us, that their lives might be transformed. Would you please repair the desolations as only you can? We'll give you all the thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 